Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here is what I learn on the podcast today. What is the real implication of the Harry and Meghan interview with Oprah? Shri Paradkar from the Toronto Star has one take on it. Christina Blizzard of the Toronto Sun has a completely different take. We'll listen to both of those perspectives. Plus, what is this NFT, this non-fungible token that everybody is talking about? It is time to learn what that's about. Let's get to it. What is this racist family doing on my money anyway? What is, what is going on? I mean, Granny's not so bad, but the rest of them, goodness. Hey, welcome to life under the double-decker bus, royal family. Why should I care? Why should I care? Why should you care? I know you got your hand up. I'm like, why? Why are we talking? Why are we talking about this? I'm going to tell you exactly why this is important. We got. A, we're going to chew through this, and really, we're going to look at it from a bunch of different angles, and all of them important. I'm telling you, what happened last night on television? A bit of monoculture, like we don't ever see anymore, where just the, the world seems to be watching one thing, and it's a shared experience, and it is going to ripple forward. And the ramifications of what happened on the air, I don't think we can really really assess what it means, but it's going to be big. I'm telling you. Plus, could I, could I just borrow a non-fungible token from you? Do you have a, do you have a spare non-fungible token, an NFT? Have you ever, ever have this thing where, where you just notice something in the news and you think, well, what is that? And you don't, you don't really like, well, do I need to learn what that's about? And the next thing you know, it's everywhere all over the news today. non Fungible tokens. What in the world? What is that thing? Coming up, we're going to learn all about it. I'm going to tell you what it is and why it's important. What in the world does the rock band Kings of Leon have to do with non-fungible tokens? But let's get back to those whiny, privileged powders making a money play. Harry and Meghan, of course. Now, that's one perspective. That's one way to look at what we saw last night. You know, we talked a lot about uh, caged chickens and caged royals. It was kind of a, you got your, your chicken coop and your caged royals all together. Now, what what do you think when you hear this? There's number one. Yeah, make it. Didn't do any research. No. I've never looked up my husband online. I just didn't feel a need to because everything that I needed to know he was sharing with me, right? Everything that we thought I needed to know he was telling me. Really? That is how the interview kicked off last night. The interview, of course, with Oprah and with Meghan Markle. And then later comes in Harry. I'm sure he was, you know, watching it all behind the pillar. It's not like he was... Don't think he was just strolling by. I was just working. I was just, uh, you know, mowing the lawn. That didn't happen. Coming up, Shri Paradkar from the Toronto Star is going to join me with her perspective on the race angle. And coming up a little bit later, staunch monarchist and Toronto Sun columnist Christina Blizzard will be with me. And you can weigh in on whether or not it is time to get that family off our money. What is what is this family doing on our money anyway? When the whole thing begins with what you just heard there, which is, oh, I didn't do any research on my husband. I didn't, I didn't Google. Let's begin 
with a reaction from Sheba Siddiqui, my producer. Sheba, you're just top line, you're just your top reaction to what you saw on television. Alan, it was bombshell after bombshell. This was the TV that I needed, I wanted. <laughs> the way that the way that started off with the clip you just played made me first of all, it made me question Megan's credibility. Yes. Come on. You've yes. never Googled your boyfriend, your husband, the monarchy, the royal family. I don't believe that. There's no way. Especially a woman who was so smart, who's so organized. She had her blog, the TIG, beforehand. She knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. I she don't know what she's it. getting into. I this is this Absolutely. I think and this I think tinged the whole rest up. of it for me. No. Well, see that starting it off that way, it just sort of I don't know. So she went on to talk about her her and Kate's relationship to her suicidal ideation that was really tough for me to hear yes we're going to talk Uh, about that later that that i mean it's just so many different things to look at this but of course i I, let's let's just start here uh with i think the top line which is the the big bombshell and and here it is this is the clip and also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born what and who, who is having that conversation with you? Who is having that conversation with you? That was a bombshell. And this is where I am telling you. This is where I am beginning to tell you that this is important, right? Now, this is not... We are now moving way, way, way away from, you know, she made me cry because of the bridesmaids' dresses. I mean, whatever. I'm, who made whom cry? I, that, that washes over me. This is different. This is totally different. And then the question is, okay, who is having that conversation with you? Here is the answer to that. From Meghan Markle. And you're not going to tell me who had the conversation? I think that would be very damaging to them. I think that would be very damaging to them. So therefore, I am not going to give you a name in other than saying it wasn't the Queen, but pretty much all the rest of them are guilty by association. Because I don't name one of them. I have named all of them. Now this revelation, this bombshell... It come as a shock at all to anybody? I mean, if you, unlike Meghan Markle before she met, you know, Harry, if you ever Googled the royal family, you'd know a little bit about the background of that family. And does this come as a surprise? Shri Paradkar is a columnist with the Toronto Star. Shri, uh, what did you make of what you saw? Oh, hi, Alan. Um, I did not find it. The slightest bit surprising, and that won't be a surprise to you, uh, <laughs> because because the Windsors have for centuries, you know, lived well before Google, lived off the profits of racist exploitation of land and labor the world over, right? So there's nothing. There was no chance that a family in whose name British colonialism and inhumane practices marched around the world. You know, it's premised on the supposed inferiority of people, but they were going to take Meghan on equal terms. So, um, 
I, I find it surprising that Megan didn't Google. Uh, <laughs> well, we, we began our, our, our segment, Shree, talking about that taking away from some of the credibility overall of what she said after that. I, I think so. And I should also preface our discussion today by saying that my only interest or my only sympathy with Megan is in terms of how she has had to navigate her uh, biracial or black identity in such, you know, the originators of racism in in many ways. Uh, and so that is where my sympathy lies. There, otherwise, it's, you know, a fight between millionaires. Yeah. Um, and, and I find it very interesting that, you know, they, unlike a lot of people in the UK, interracial couples, they're not only able to leave, but they're able to, you know, leave and live in such wealth, right? Like they have received that kind of help from other rich people. So, so my sympathy is only on this front, you know, the, the racism and what it means, its implications to mental health. Yes, certainly, and Sri, we're going to um, talk more about the mental health aspect because I think that's really an important uh, takeaway, and I think it was also important to note that that might have been triggering for uh, some people what they heard last night. Now, that's not a criticism. I'm just acknowledging that that is the case, that when we talk about uh, suicidal ideation, that can be a trigger. So just be be wary of that, and I just say that just for our audience there, to just, just to be conscious of that. Mm-hmm. But um, by... The, the impact, and I think this is the strong impact here, uh, Shri, is, is about this sort of racist uh, allegation with no name attached to it. And what that, what's that implication for that, for the monarchy going forward? Okay, yeah, it wasn't grandma, it wasn't the queen. Uh, here is Oprah asking point blank to Harry, who said it? That conversation <laughs> I'm never going to share. Um, but at the time, at the time it was awkward. I was a bit shocked. Um, can you can you tell us what the question was? No, I don't. I'm not comfortable sharing that. Okay. Um, but that was that was right at the beginning, right? Um, like, what will the baby look like? Yeah. What will the kids look like? Yeah. What will yeah. the kids look like? That is uh, Harry last night, and part of the conversation with Oprah on the line, Shree Pradkar from the uh, Toronto Star. I, that puts blame on all of them, Shri, and I think that has an implication, you know, down the line for whoever, you know, puts the crown on their head next. Um, maybe. I don't believe that it will have any real effect. Hmm. Um, he did He did say uh, to Oprah, Oprah said on CBC this morning that, not CBC, sorry, what is that? CBS. CBS. This yeah. morning that, uh, <laughs> that he did tell her that it wasn't... Um, his grandmother or his grandfather, who has, you know, such a long history of racism. So he did tell her that. So, yeah, I'm okay with people, you know, wondering, is it Charles, is it Will? And what difference does it make? You know, but doesn't it, but it doesn't just smear them all? I'm just, I... I mean, why is it... It doesn't, really. It tells you that somebody said it. And, hmm. and in fact, if you ask me... Uh, as a person of color in Toronto, and I'll, I'll have stories about racism to share, but I wouldn't be able to go in public and say who said it, because then you're, then it becomes it can become a legal issue, and you can mm. be uh, sued for defamation and libel. And if your only interest is in bringing out the issue of racism, 
then there is no, and usually because this is in a conversation and there is no proof of it, how are you ever going to defend it? So I can understand why he would not or they would not want to name who said it. Um, at the same time, you know, what? What do we think is going to happen? We are assuming that people are going to be so repulsed by this idea that some one person said something or implied something racist. I mean, no, we are we are we live in a world where we benefit from racism. Why would we be? You know, we might have a momentary shock, and maybe that you know it's it's like with our prime minister in blackface. I mean, it didn't stop him huh. from winning the election. Really? Oh, that's that's an interesting comparison, Sri. That's very, very interesting. You, you, so your your takeaway from last night and and the race angle is, but as much, you know, it, it, as much implication and going forward as blackface when Trudeau. I think so because because we are all basically we are all comfortable with racism. We just don't want to be called racist, but we are comfortable because that's the system that we benefit from. So. You know, sure, you know, there is a certain thing to being called racist, but I, I think, you know, there is, you know, curiosity around who would have said it. Uh, but the fact that I think any of them could have said it is telling in itself. The fact that we are not able to say, oh, Charles would never have said it. Camilla would never have said it. Kate would never have said it. Will would never. We are not able to say that. That is, to me, the more telling part than who said it. Shree, thank you so much. I appreciate your perspective. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. That is Shree Paradkar, who is a columnist with the Toronto Star. It's a go. <laughs> oh, Dad. You're going to have a daughter. Oh, it's the policy of truth. You know, at most gender reveal parties that you were just listening there to a clip from the, of course, the Meghan and Harry interview last night with Oprah and where they revealed the gender of their forthcoming child. At most gender reveals, you know, they, they explode a balloon, maybe maybe blow up a watermelon or something. Harry and Meghan just blew up the monarchy. Boom. I said, a boom. A recent poll conducted by a research company found what? It found that 45% of us, 45% of us, say we would prefer to have an elected head of state instead of the queen when considering Canada's constitution. That's 45% of us who say, I don't know what this family's doing on my money. What are these I mean, granny's okay. Granny, I mean, listen, let's give it up. Lifetime of service, but mm, really? Let's get a different perspective on the Oprah interview. And for that, I am so pleased to welcome to the program a Toronto, longtime Toronto Sun columnist, former Queen's Park uh, reporter and columnist, Christina Blizzard, who is a staunch, I would say staunch monarchist. Christina, welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Yes, I am a staunch monarchist, um, mainly because I actually believe that a constitutional monarchy with the, um, you know, the queen as the head of state and the prime minister as the head of government is a really stable form of government. Yeah, but the family in question's got some problems, Christina. <laughs> they have, and I think what happened yesterday uh, is going to cause a constitutional crisis both in the UK and in Canada. Uh, the likes of which we haven't seen since uh, 1936, when 
Edward VIII uh, abdicated the throne because, guess what? He wanted to marry an American divorcee. So I don't know. It's the... Uh, it seems to be history repeating itself, and I think this is going to be very problematic for them. Really? That, now, that's a fascinating perspective, because just in our last segment, we had Sri Paradkar from the uh, Toronto Star. By the way, if you uh, missed that, you want to check it out. This uh, radio no, program yep, is yep. also available as a podcast for those uh, who might have uh, not been listening. She said that this is not going to have a lasting impact. Your perspective is different. Oh, yeah, I think that already, um, I, I think I think what will happen is it will split along uh, national lines. And I think in the UK, um, it, it probably will not have a lasting impact, although it, already people are raising concerns. And, you know, there is a lot of, of outrage about some of the allegations about racism. Um, uh, certainly, you know, um, when Megan talked about trying to get help for her, um, for her mental health uh, problems, um, especially given that Harry and Meghan and the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, when they were, uh, that was their, their charity. That was, they were spokespeople for the charity Heads Together, which is a charity about, uh, you know, supporting people who have mental health issues. Um, but I think that, um, and I think in Canada, we're seeing it probably even more so. I think the United States will take Harry and Meghan's side. They hmm. believe that they're, you know, their beautiful young actress and her, you know, her cheeky, handsome uh, husband have been mm-hmm. done and down by the monarchy. And, yeah, don't, don't you know, forget about the sweet chicken coop, Christina. Oh, sweet oh, chicken that coop. Was, was that not so cute? I love it. I know. That was, rescue that was quite chickens. adorable. <laughs> yeah, rescue I chickens. Well, I think we have a, a rescue Harry, actually. I mean, <laughs> if you actually listened carefully... He said, he actually said that he didn't realize he needed to get out until no. Megan told him to. Right. Oh, okay. You know, I, Harry, I'm sorry. That's not a very good way to live your life. You're supposed to figure these things out for yourself. <laughs> uh, uh, who picked, by the way, who picked the kid that wore a Nazi uniform to be the one to call the rest of the family out for being racists? <laughs> Well, yes, absolutely. I, you know, who, who, well, you know what? I think Harry was always the rebel. I think we always knew that Harry was the one who was going to go rogue. If anyone was, it was him. You know, when you saw that picture of him playing pool with no clothes on in uh-huh. uh, Vegas, yeah. you kind of thought, you know what? This is not going to end well. <laughs> uh, what is, what, let's just take it to what's going to happen with Canada, because I really think that this is going to, this is, you know, another bit on the scale of what is this family doing on my money? And it's going to, I think it's going to push more Canadians to say, no, I mean, we don't want this anymore. We want to go the way of Barbados. Well, sadly, I think that that is possibly the way we will go. Um, I would be sad about that because I think you've only got to look to the Republic to our South uh, where, you know, if if your president is dysfunctional, the country is dysfunctional, as we saw very recently, that I'm not sure that that's the way we want to go. But sadly, I think that is the way we may go. I think also Canadians need to examine their souls. You look at the polls that were taken when Harry and Meghan were holed up on the West Coast. We did not want to pay for their security. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was a major issue for them. Well, you know, I'm sorry. He was a visiting dignitary and we had obligations under international agreements to pay for his security. And it was because Canada said no and Canada yeah. stopped paying that then the royals said no as well. Yeah, yeah. So you know I what? 
go play on somebody else's beach and get them to pay for the security, not getting a dollar from me. But then but think how great it would have been if they said they were looking for somewhere in the Commonwealth to live. Think of all if they had come here, if they had, you know, they could have put on some fundraisers. They, it would have been great for Canada. They're where, they, they're where they should be, which is next door to Oprah. Well, possibly, but and I think, frankly, I think their goal was always to be next door to Oprah. But they did in there. I mean, th- this was a bizarre. I mean, the, some of the stuff in that interview, they said that they had this wedding three days ahead of time with just the archbishop. You know, you have to have two witnesses in the Church of England for a wedding. So there must have been five of them. And it was in their backyard. I can't. Can you see an archbishop marrying a couple in their backyard? You know, weddings pretty well have to take place in in a church if you're if you're in the Church of England. Are you, are you, I'm talking to Christina Blizzard, uh, a columnist uh, with the Toronto Sun. Are you calling Are you calling BS on that? You calling malarkey? Well, no, I'm just saying I need more information. Oh, okay, I mean, all right. There were a lot of things in this that were that didn't quite hold a lot of water. Mm. I'm, you know, the, the, she. I told. She said that she had, didn't didn't have her car keys or her passport. She went to a baby shower in New York on. I don't know whose private plane was it. Um, George Clooney. I don't know, but I mean, and and the royals routinely are seen around driving around London. So I mean, maybe she just wasn't comfortable driving standard. I don't know. You know, wrong side of the road. That's the problem. Wrong side of the road could have been. But anyway, I just, I just, there were a lot of things that weren't really unpacked in that, that I'd like more details on. I mean, the one question, remember the big story about the tiara, about she had a big fight with Angela Kelly, who's this um, very close advisor to the Queen, came up from, you know, rather, you know, very um, uh, humble origins. And uh, she had a fight about because Angela Kelly wouldn't let her get the tiara out of wherever, I don't know, the Tower of London, wherever they were keeping it, hmm. uh, to try it on. And apparently that was when Harry made that famous statement, what Meghan wants, Meghan gets. But it was interesting that Oprah didn't ask about that, uh-huh. because that's one of the big stories that everyone talks about. So I'm just saying that there's stuff in there that I, you know, I needed to a little bit more information, but I think the the um, the racism accusations are devastating, and the fact that she didn't say or Harry wouldn't say who exactly. Who, I exactly, mean, that's so damaging to all of them, really, by by not saying. And you know, Shri pointed out as to why, which is, I thought, a really interesting perspective. Uh, Christina, I got to let you go, but thank you okay. so much. It was great to talk to you again. Thank you so much for coming on my little radio program. Thank you for asking, Alan. That is Christina Blizzard, uh, journalist, uh, former uh, Queen's Park columnist, and a staunch monarchist. Listening in the background there at the Little Kings of Leon rock band. Now, what does that rock band have to do with non-fungible tokens? And what in the world is an non-fungible tokens? Is that like something you get on your toenail and you need some kind of an ointment for no, it's suddenly the hottest thing in finance and also in the arts. NFTs. Now, non-fungible more or less just means something is unique and can't be replaced with something else. For example, you know, a dollar can be exchanged with a dollar. A dollar is a dollar is a dollar. You know what that is. You give somebody a dollar, you get a dollar back. 
but non-fungible, like maybe you have a one-of-a-kind trading card, for example, and then you trade it for a different card. Now you have something completely different. That is my understanding of non-fungible. Now, what has it got to do with the arts and with finance and with Bitcoin, specifically not Bitcoin, but cryptocurrency, to help me understand all of that, Chandra Steele, senior writer with PC Mag, joins me. Non-fungible tokens. Out of nowhere, suddenly this is the biggest thing, Chandra. Right. It was overnight, pretty much. And I wrote an explainer for it because I wanted to know what was mm. going on. I had seen a tiny bit about it before. And then I say it exploded over the past week. It really has. I mean, I started reading about it last week, and then now I'm seeing Jack Dorsey is uh, selling, what, the original tweet as for part of a non-fungible token. Take me to the high level here. What is this thing? So it is just a token saying that you own something that is digital. So I, the way I've been thinking of it is, you know, you were, you're able to buy a star, and I will put that in quotes, obviously it's radio, but in mm-hmm. quotes, and, you know, you own the star and you have a certificate for the star, but there is no physical way to show that you own this star. Aside from that, that's exactly what this is, but it is just a cryptocurrency version of it. So you don't actually own anything, really. But explain to me how, for example, Grimes, the artist who is uh, married to Elon Musk, for example, sold something for a, a ton of, is it real money as a non-fungible token? million dollars. I mean, it's yeah. exchangeable for real money. So she created some digital art, and yes, yeah, she sold it for $6 million. But clearly, when she, when she announced that she sold the art, she sent out some tweets, and you can see the art in them, and you're not getting anything more than that, truly, except for the certificate for all of that money. So it's sort of like a bragging rights, I would say, to it. And in some ways, I think this is fueled by cryptocurrency being sort of play money at some level. It is very real money in some ways. You can't exchange it for dollars. But there are people who've made a tremendous amount of cryptocurrency, and I guess they feel like they would be willing to spend it on something like that. All right, let's talk about cryptocurrency because that's the next point where we get confused and complicated because this isn't like Bitcoin. It exists somehow. It rides on top of the actual cryptocurrency. Is that my understanding? It does. So it really is instead of cryptocurrency itself, it's intellectual property. So it's more artistic, I would say, than cryptocurrency. (laughs) Cryptocurrency is like your cold, hard currency. And I would say this is more like you're buying, like I said, art, you're buying a gift, you're buying a, a clip of an NBA game. It's something that's more ethereal. But are you but you don't really own it? Like back to your star example being a good one, like you can't own a star, but you have this certificate. Exactly. So, you know, like you said, we're saying with Kings of Leon, there is no reason that you cannot right now stream that album and you're not getting anything more when you purchase it with cryptocurrency, you know, with an NFT, except for like some digital art that came along with it, which you could also download if you wanted to. I'm speaking with Chandra Steele, who's a senior writer with PC Magazine. Uh, last question. Uh, next week, are we going to have to know about NFTs or is this going to go away as fast as it came? Do you think this is something that is lasting? In some ways, I feel like it will go away. I do feel like it will have this underground component, particularly because artists are looking into it right now, and it's so difficult to make money in the art market. 
So this is something that I would see explored. Christie's has an auction going on right now for an artist named Beeple. And that is the first of its kind, really, for an auction house like Christie's. But I would say that it is more of a passing fad. And I, I don't want to give financial advice, but I would say that you should probably not not invest in it. Chandra, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and helping us uh, understand non-fungible tokens. Thanks for having me. That is Chandra Steele, senior writer with PC Magazine. Did you Did you get that? See now you can just go about your business. You can you can just you know you know spruce that in you know to your next Zoom meeting. I was going to say your next dinner party, but who's kidding who? That's not happening. So the next time you're online with somebody, you can you you know the next time you're playing poker, you know like well I'm all in with non fungible tokens only. That was interesting stuff. I want to come back uh, as we end this hour to the Megan and Harry interview. Uh, there was uh, so much in that to, to take away, and my my point of view on all of it is two twofold. One, which is it's a tremendously important. Um, it is not just about privileged, rich kids uh, complaining and showing off their quaint chicken coop. I mean, there's an element of in there, but the societal uh, issues that were raised last night, I think, are going to ripple forward. It's going to have a big impact on the monarchy. And here is the other thing that just I just really want to zero right in, and I hope Shiva Siddiqui can join me here to just quickly talk about this. I want to play this for you. Uh, this, I think, uh, the other second big jaw dropper and the key, key moment last night as Meghan Markle uh, expands on her state of mind to Oprah Winfrey. Look, I was really ashamed to say it at the time. And a shame to have to admit it to Harry, especially, um, because I know how much loss he suffered. Mm-hmm. But I knew that if I didn't say it, that I would do it, and I, I just didn't, I just didn't want to be alive anymore. I just didn't want to be alive anymore. Meghan Markle, in conversation with Oprah Winfrey. And I will just point out that discussions of this nature can be triggering for some people. So please, there is help available to you. Sheba Siddiqui is on the line. This was brave, Sheba. I don't don't care what you think about Meghan Markle, if you're a fan or not. This was a brave thing to admit to the world. That was really difficult to watch. And I was not expecting the interview to go there. I was not expecting Meghan Markle to... Uh, to say those things and to admit to how bad it really got for her. Uh, at that time, I, I believe she was expecting her son. So she was maybe six or seven months pregnant. And the way she described that, uh, and she actually went on to say that they had an event, her and Harry, the next evening, and he told her, just stay home. You're feeling this way, just stay home. You don't have to put on that, you know, that smile and fake it through the evening and she said no i can't be alone right now that's pretty powerful to one acknowledge that you should not be by yourself because where will your thoughts go what can you do and to be so brave and open to come forward and say that for the world first of all for Mm -hmm. your husband and secondly for the world and she started it by saying we heard her say you know she felt shame Mm -hmm. in admitting that it's not easy. No, it's not. And, and, and I think 
I really hope, you know, I, I, I hope that going forward that, that that stigma comes away from that because, you know, mental health issues are something that everyone is touched by on some level. And we don't like to talk about it. And we don't, you know, we certainly don't like the celebrity, shiny, happy people that we look up to and, you know, you know, get fashion tips from to tell us that kind of thing. We're not used to it. And it's important that it happened. And I, I just, I commend her for it. I 100% agree with you. It's the first thing I thought when I was watching her admit this. Uh, I, I, my, I, I teared up at that point in the interview, which I wasn't expecting to do at all. And I thought, wow, this woman is going to move the needle in the mm-hmm. conversations around mental health. Just that was the most powerful take I got from yesterday was how I hope people can come forward and also relate to her. And she ended the interview by saying she got through it and she felt supported and look where she is now. So mm-hmm. anybody who was watching that, who could relate to that, there is hope and you are able to get through it with the proper supports. Just want to quickly uh, say uh, uh, happy International Women's Day to you. Thank you. Thank and, you for uh, celebrating it tonight, taking my daughter out for ice cream. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much, and, and thank you for continuing to work so hard on this show. I really appreciate it, and thanks, Sheba, again for, for this hour. I, thanks again. I will just sum up, and I, I am almost out of time, as I just really want to quickly give out one number, just one phone number for you, and this is for people in the Toronto area, uh, and that is uh, if you are in crisis, there is help for you. There is always going to be somebody who listens. You don't have to be Meghan Markle and say there's nobody here. There's nobody to listen. In her case, that's likely the truth. <clears throat> but for you, for all of us, if you're in Toronto, especially, I want you to take down this number, 416-408-HELP. 408-HELP. You can go to the CAMH website. It has all kinds of resources for people all over the province. But if you're in Toronto and you need somebody to talk to, 408-HELP. Mental health is a real issue, folks. You got to take care of yourself. Be good to each other. Be good to yourself. That is the podcast for today. Don't forget the Alan Carter Show, weekdays, starting at noon.